Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There is no better group of plants for flower power than forms of the shrubby potentilla. My thanks to this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants Limited of Pershaw in Worcestershire. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook here to exchange some news, views, a bit of seasonal advice and uh, hopefully answer some of your gardening quandaries on the way. Uh, we had something of a showery uh, start to uh, last Saturday morning, but then by midday, you know what they say, rain before seven, shine before eleven, the sun came out and uh, with a little bit of breeze, it was dry enough that we could get the grass cut. Thank goodness it was getting up around my ankles. And I had a bit of help with uh, John over the weekend and we managed uh, between us to get three of the compost bins emptied and quite a bit of nice well-rotted material was uh, stacked up on the veg plot ready for winter digging. And of course having cut the grass gave uh, several hods of uh, lawn mowings which I like to put into the bottom of an empty bin before uh, I heap some of the uh, debris from summer crops and uh, anything from the compost bins which haven't rotted as much as uh, I would like. Once you get those uh, two or three boxes of lawn mowings wet and green, they heat up very quickly and work like a firelighter. I've got one bin too that's uh, completely empty, ready to be filled with fallen leaves and they are beginning to come down at uh, quite a rate. I mean, on Monday night, early Tuesday morning, we had a really sharp frost, and we've had um, one or two strongish blasts of wind, uh, which is really bringing the leaves down. A bit of a frustrating start to, to the week. And I spent best part of two days, I would think, uh, trying to cope with the paperwork and medical checks to fly to Holland for the Alsmere Trade Fair. I've not been uh, to that for three years uh, and it will be uh, quite useful to catch up with what's uh, going on on the continent. Um, and I've still got a form to complete to get back into Britain, so uh, <laughs> I hope that I'm back uh, safely Thursday evening by the time you hear this commentary. I would certainly hope to have plenty of news. I see that there's been quite a detailed poinsettia trial. Yes, it's uh, soon be that time again with uh, the German company Duman and Beacon Camp from Holland having quite an extensive trial and I would hope to see some of their new introductions this week. Incidentally, uh, if you think it's a bit early for 
the thoughts of Christmas and poinsettia, I have to tell you that if you can get a poinsettia that's been locally grown and home without it being checked in the cold on the windowsill, it will settle down and last much better than if you buy it in five or six weeks' time when the days are very short. You know, they're tropical plants and uh, they like a nice bit of sunlight. And the best bet is to have them on the windowsill during the day and then just bring them into the room when you draw the curtains so they get that bit of extra warmth when they really need it at night. There's some speculation too about the replacement for the Director General for the RHS now that uh, Sue Biggs has announced that uh, she's uh, stepping down from the job after 11 years next June. It certainly is a lively time in the gardening world and and the garden trade continues to uh, break sales records on the garden centres. Now, of course, they're beginning to switch uh, heavily into Christmas uh, and I was interested to see at Meadowcroft Garden Centre at Wickford in Essex, they have a German market, stall after stall after stall. I mean, you could uh, almost imagine that you were in one of those German towns that make uh, speciality gifts, Christmas products, Christmas beers, even uh, cuckoo clocks. There was uh, a lot of fascinating stuff on uh, display. If I'm reading the trade correct, uh, the autumn bulb sales have been a little bit slow. Uh, I think the trend now is very much to buy them in pots in bud in the spring. Uh, I don't understand why people probably impatient for colour or don't understand that uh, if you buy a dry bulb, it works out a great deal cheaper and with a bit of luck will uh, last much longer. And when I say last longer, I mean if they get sort of settled in the soil, particularly narcissus and tulips, well, they'll come up year after year. Always if you buy the largest bulbs. You want good big bulbs if you want to repeat flowering over a good number of seasons. There's still plenty of time to plant, particularly the bigger bulbs. I'm very pleased to welcome onto our podcast today one of my real heroes. I love people who can really grow plants. I mean... I'm surprised they don't shoot out of his ears and every other orifice because his fingers are so green, it is unbelievable. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome John Massey from uh, Ashwood Nurseries in Kings Winford in the West Midlands. Now, John, uh, how are you today? How are things in uh, Kings Winford? And could you just outline... How you set off in this business, it's quite a remarkable story, I think. It's a lovely day here, still incredibly mild. Uh, the autumn colour in the garden is, um, well, I just find this time of year so exciting. How did I set off? Well, really, it was my granddad's fault. At the age of five, he taught me to double dig. If you can imagine that he, he had four daughters and they lived in a two-bedroomed house, 
and so the daughters all slept in the one room and Grandad used to grow all the vegetables for the whole year. He used to earth up the potatoes, the onions were, were strung and then with the runner beans we used to salt them and always have uh, our own runner beans for Christmas Day. So he, he talked my parents into letting me have a little plot of garden where, where I grew vegetables. I used to sell them at the local shops and then raise money for the seeds of other plants that I wanted to grow. Amazing. But then from that um, very good background, how did you actually start in the industry? Pure luck, uh, as most of the things with me. My um, dad moved house and my mum wasn't keen to go right out in the country. Dad loved peace and quiet, where mum loved people around her, having been brought up sleeping four in the same bed, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mum wouldn't let dad sell our old house, Eventually, she talked him into going back. He'd rented it out for a time. And uh, there was two-thirds of an acre in the uh, old house which Mum felt she could look after, where in the the new place there were six acres uh, and Mum and Dad had got a gardener. So Dad went down to the local nursery, Ashwood Nurseries, the one day uh, to buy a roast steak and he ended up, uh, uh, buying the nursery to keep, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as you do, uh, to, to keep Mr. Silvers in a job instead of stopping him. I was still at school at the time and um, I left school on the uh, Friday and started at Ashford on the Saturday. My mum and her home help uh, ran the nursery for the couple of months while I was still at school because Mr Silvers didn't like it at all. It was very quiet in those days. And I I used to do a lot of um, garden maintenance, which I think is one of the best ways to learn. I've had no formal horticultural education but i feel i've had some of the best private education in the world people like princess sturzer taught me how to garden we became friends because she loved hellebores and she used to come over and i would never have started a garden if she hadn't introduced me to all her transparency pruning she always used to say it isn't what you plant it's what you plant it with And then there have been people like Percy Picton from Colwall who I used to, if I felt a bit down, I would go and visit him and he'd be there in his potting shed and uh, he'd tell me all about the plants he was growing and in the end he'd give you some of those plants and you'd have to go back and start to grow them. He gave me the first Louisias. Amazing. But, But, I mean, the names you're dropping, John... You know, to actually, as a young person, uh, uh, have the experience, uh, um, Percy, with, with Michaelmas daisies and all of the herbaceous, what a great plantsman he was. I, he was just incredible. And, like, he, his son, the whole family, and the, the wonderful thing now is his granddaughter has got back into alpines, so... I think there's nothing more exciting than seeing young people go 
bonkers with plants, you know, and uh, Malvern is a very special place, but what what Percy did there, it was, as you say, with the Michaelmas daisies, but it was with the alpines and he used to grow a lot of different pleonies and he had this sort of greenhouse. He was always in there when I went and he, he just loved to enthuse about all his different plants. Well, John, for those people who haven't been to... Uh... Ashwood Nurseries, and I would encourage them at the first opportunity to go. Could you just uh, describe it a little bit to us? I mean, it's not the perfect site for a nursery, is it? No, we're, we're a tremendous frost pocket, but the beauty is we're just off the main Kidderminster, Wolverhampton, the A449, but we're out in the country. I live behind the nursery in the garden, which like really I've opted out of most of the work in the nursery now other than the hepatica production but the nursery's been going well 55 years and I've still got um, four members of staff including myself who've been here over 50 years the only problem is we're all getting older together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but when, I, when I visit, you've always got young folk knocking about there too, John. You've been a great mentor to young people. But when you talk about the frost pocket, when we turn in off the road... It's on a steep slope, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is so. It's it, as I say, it backs onto the uh, Stuffs Worcester Canal. But from the garden's point of view, the canal—it's it, a lovely curving canal. It, it dominates the the garden, which I'm involved in in most of all now. Uh, we get no rabbits. We get no deer in the garden because of the canal there and the main road. Uh, further away uh, and um, I often think of it as Camelot <laughs> and that I, I'm, the, I'm the luckiest person in the world you know it's very sandy which gives you the drainage and hardiness and also because of the humidity I get from the canal it's fantastic with hellebores and hepaticas you know which are two of my great loves. Well should we start first of all with the hellebores was it hellebores that sort of set you off on the breeding and improving of a particular range of plants? I mean, hellebores, we would have had Christmas roses and uh, the Orientals, but they didn't flower very well when I first came into this business. I think, well, um, hellebores... Uh I think it's so popular because they're one of the first flowers to come into bloom in the spring and they are incredibly hardy. I suppose it's like most plants, if you give them the right conditions, they're happy. I always feel with hellebores, they, they're best on a slope, uh, probably growing between other deciduous plants. But I, like Helen Ballard used to grow them at Mathan Malvern in a north border in very thick, heavy clay. But she used to raise the beds up so to improve the drainage. Like so many, like they're a snowmelt plant. We call them garden hybrids now because of all the influences of the various different species to get the dark colours from Helen Boris Torquaitas, the yellows from Cyclophilus and Adorus. They're a breeder's dream. But I mean, John, 
they're, they're absolutely magic in your hands because you took an enormous exhibit to the Chelsea Flower Show the third week in May, whereas these blooming things are usually in flowering in January and February. I mean, how on earth did you work that? It's Kevin Belcher, who is the hellebore breeder, and he masterminded that stand. Like, I bought a second-hand freezer trailer, and we we put them in in October and kept them at... um, about minus one, minus 1.5. We left all the foliage on to begin with and then we'd spray them over with a mist once a week and there was no lights in there. And and the the incredible thing, because we'd we'd also um, done a display with hepaticas two years previously, with a snowmelt plant, if you suddenly bring it into warmth... All the flowers come together rather than over a, a period of a month. So you, you get this wow uh, period, which I'd no idea was <laughs> was going to happen <laughs> at all. You know, it was sort of... I, I, I thought we were doing uh, Desert Island Disc today and I, I was going to come up with my favourite dra- uh, song as uh, Dancing in the Dark because I think that's what I do most of the time. <laughs> Uh, and uh, you know, luck uh, favours the fool, foolhardy who uh, don't always think everything through. And um, but it, it worked brilliantly. And uh, it, but it was all masterminded by Kevin Belcher, and I was only there to sort of help when he needed me. Always too modest, John. Uh, you've mentioned Hepatica several times, and and I believe you've spent um, just a few hours scribbling a few notes about them. Can you first of all describe to uh, my listener that doesn't know what a Hepatica is? You know, what are these charming plants? Hepaticas are a mountain woodland plant. They grow throughout the northern hemisphere, right the way through most of Europe, sadly not in Great Britain, but in North America and Canada, Japan, Korea, China, and basically along the Silk Road areas in Pakistan, sort of Kashmir. In my parents' old house, there was a rock garden, and it was probably the worst place you could put a rock garden, under a a sycamore tree, probably over a 100-year-old sycamore tree, but there was a pool and a a little waterfall. And the incredible thing was there were hepatica nobilis, which is the European one, growing all through this rock garden. This was between... 5 and 11 when I was there, age 5 and 11, not time 5 and 11. (laughs) 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 But but um, it gave them what they wanted, which was um, full sun when they were in flower. They got the humidity from the pool and, and the little waterfall and then dense shade after flowering. 
and also it was on a slope so they got the good drainage the shade and the humidity which is so important with hepaticas uh, john they're one of the very first of the plants to flower aren't they and they're almost they're almost like primroses but in pinks and mauves they flower along with the hellebores again they're a snowmelt plant they love this humidity which the canal gives me uh, and the beauty is when you see them in the wild they're always growing on a slope so you know 45 degrees in the fluffy woodland soil and i they've given me these sort of license to travel i've seen them in north america in minnesota i've been over to kyrgyzstan to see hepatica falconeri which was very much like scotland it was a wonderful country uh, japan of course is probably the epicenter of hepaticas and china and south korea the korean peninsula I, I was asked to write this book, believe it or not, about 20 years ago by Timber Press. And I said, well, I hadn't got the experience. And my friend in Japan, Tomo Mabuchi, who's a similar sort of age to you, he's the brains behind the book. And uh, uh, he keeps doing various um, I- investigations. And I managed to get a real trump card uh, one of my heroes um, roy lancaster agreed to write a comment for the back of the book which again i uh, it makes it so special but i i can't believe how helpful everyone's been all over the the world everyone's been fantastic with knowledge and photos and absolutely everything it it's really very very humbling yeah uh, john I can't wait to see the book. And I spoke last night to Roy Lancaster and he said what a delight it was to read. And that one, John Massey, jumped from the page. As every page he turned, he could hear you and see you in the pages. But I understand that the uh, venerable Japanese gentleman is actually coming to Vienna next year with a bit of luck. Is that correct? Well, Tomo had done work with uh, Vienna University as a corresponding course. He'd never actually been there, but the lady who he worked with is still in charge at Vienna and I thought it'd be wonderful for us all to meet up there when I asked Tomo first of all he said no and then five minutes later he sent me an email saying yes he would come (laughs) so uh, (laughs) hopefully it's meant to be I don't know if it's meant to be it'll happen John no matter what the season when I visit your garden there's colour It's an absolute delight. Do you have any tips for our listeners today if they want to put colour, just as you've got it, in their garden in this time of year? When we create a new bed, we try and concentrate on one or possibly two seasons. So, for instance, in the autumn winter bed, there's lots of different corners. I absolutely adore the corner sanguinea uh, there's magic flame and annie's winter orange and planted in amongst those of nareens there's also the autumn flowering snowdrops there's been colchicums and then the 
the the spindles, the dwarf forms of Euonymus alatus give you incredible colour. But we're busy at the moment. We we're sort of changing the garden over from summer to winter. I'm still opening the garden every Saturday, and um, what we've been doing a lot of is pruning the trees making sure that they're going to look at their best for the winter. To my mind, a winter garden starts with the the way the trees are pruned, the transparency pruning and the lifting of the canopies, and it's something that you have to do every year. And the other thing which we've just finished doing is jet washing all, all the birches. I always tell people if they've had a ding-dong with the other half, it's a wonderful way of getting rid of frustration. <laughs> it is going out there with a jet wash. I, I, I used to play a lot of badminton in my youth and to knock hell out of a feather shuttlecock uh, was uh, another way of doing that same <laughs> release. But um, we go round so, uh, and jet wash. And even on some of the, especially cerula or, prunus roofer if you jet wash those it it just uh, really makes them sparkle now is there any caution needed then those pressure washers can be quite strong i'd never jet wash a very young tree you wait till uh, it's got established because the bark could be a bit raw and it would sort of like bruise it but once they they've been planted about five or six years but especially with the birch and the prunicellula it really does bring them to life and if the garden is very open you might not there might not be need to jet wash them it's the algae forming on the trees which you're getting rid of but it, it really does make the trees sort of say hey look at me John, what is the book going to be called? My World of Hepaticas, uh, John Massey with Tomo Mabuchi. John, it's been an absolute delight to chat to you today. Can't wish you um, more success with the, the launch of your Hepatica book, and I can't wait to see a copy. Thank you very much for joining us today. An absolute delight. Thank you, Peter. Wonderful to see you, and happy birthday. Don't drink too much. (laughs) (laughs) My thought for the week comes from uh, Nigel Colburn. Haven't spoken to him lately, uh, but his quote, Green fingers are made, not born. Success comes to all with practice. <laughs> I'm afraid that's uh, only too true. So uh, if you're a little bit new to gardening and uh, you've had one or two uh, less than successful experiences, just stick with it. It's amazing what we learn with uh, a little bit of practice. Look forward to speaking to you next week when, uh, if all's gone well with my trip to Holland, I should have uh, plenty of news to share with you. There is no better group of pots of flower power than forms of the shrubby potentilla producing seed. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My thanks to this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants Limited of Pershaw in Worcestershire. To my producer, Rich Jarman. And of course, to you for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.